Uh, go for it. Welcome to Everyday Eternal episode 15. I'm Matt Pavlik. I'm Sam Craven. I'm Bob Plum. And today we're going to be talking about True Name Nemesis, we're going to be talking about tournament reports, and everything you need to know about how the meta is going to shift. Hey Matt, why don't you rewind real quick and tell uh, the listeners who Bob is. Oh, yes. So Bob is actually uh, also known as Akatsuki on The Source. Um, We actually met originally at uh, Grand Prix Denver, uh, where Bob is a longtime legacy player who finished ninth at Providence and I think also ninth at GPDC, correct? Uh, Actually, Dan Signorini finished ninth. I finished 16th. Oh, you break my heart, Bob. It's still top 16. Top 16 a legacy GP is no easy feat, so. We were very welcome to have you on the show. And hopefully you can provide some insight onto your Bug Delver list, which we haven't really seen performing in the last, you know, say, little bit. Yeah, no, definitely happy to talk about it, and uh, definitely happy to be here. Yep. Okay, so Sam, you're up. So uh, I was at GPDC recently. It was a very cool event. Finally got to meet Sean and uh, Jayco, who hosts our cast. Um, I did very poorly at the event. I did not win a single uh, game. I actually kind of wished that I didn't have buys, because if I didn't have buys, uh, I could have dropped out in the first couple minute or in the first couple rounds and done the rebound tournament. But instead, I dropped out after the third round with no wins. Um, Round the third round, so the first round I played, played against Miracles. The guy was all in on the helm combo, so he comboed me out on turn five or six on both games. So that was over quickly. The next game I played against Shardless Bug, and the deck just did nothing. I kept a four lander. I only have 21 lands in my deck. Kept a four lander and drew six lands in a row. Um, Oh, brutal. Yeah, not a lot you can do about that. And then the next game... uh, about like my hand was okay, and about the only good plan I had in it was to uh, keep him locked down under Blood Moon. And we fought over Blood Moon a couple times. He bounced it. I'd played again. He bounced it. I'd played again. And uh, we basically, I never got anything going aside from Blood Moon. Uh, he finally got a couple creatures down where he'd bounce Blood Moon and play like a Goyf, and then I'd play Blood Moon again. And uh, on the last possible turn, I could save myself. I did not draw Terminus, I drew a Supreme Verdict, and I did not have the correct basic lands to play it. But uh, I talked to the guy, he said he was a longtime Miracles player, he looked at my hand and showed me his, he said, you know, I think Blood Moon was the correct call, because look at all this stuff I didn't do, you just didn't draw well at all. And then round, my third round, so I guess round five, uh, I played against another bug player, and uh, he just like, he killed me on like turn four with giant creatures. Go to game two, I keep a hand that's like all creature control. He thought seizes me. Is like, wow, that's a pretty good hand. And then proceeds to like Liliana and Jace me to death. So the tournament was over pretty quickly and went back into the city to see the museums and stuff. Um, as for the tournament itself, it seemed like it was relatively well run. I haven't been to events that big. There was 1,698 people. Just missed that 1,700 mark. Um, there were a few issues. Um, we we got very high, very far behind time uh, pretty quickly. Like, the player meeting started, like, 20 or 30 minutes late, and the first round started, like, 10 or 15 minutes after the player meeting. 
I did the math, and it seemed like by the time I left, which was after round five, it seemed like they were almost an hour to an hour and a half behind schedule. Walking around the hall, I saw a lot of show-and-tell and a lot of true-name nemesis, which uh, we'll be talking about later. Of course, that's the current big boogeyman of the format. But, um, yeah, it was a pretty good tournament. Wish I could have done better, but getting to drop out that early meant that we got to do a little bit more stuff than we planned in our time in D.C. Cool. So if you had any suggestions, or would you have built your deck any differently, or was it just all bad luck? I think that the deck, I think the deck is fine. I think I played well. I think I didn't make a whole lot of mistakes. I think I just lost really hard to variants. And I'm going to go ahead and blame it on the fact that I've been doing really well with Miracles lately and say that this is just to make up for all of the doing well <laughs> I've been doing. Yeah, I mean, in particular, that third uh, or that first match sounds pretty brutal where he was just all in on the helm combo and you probably only had one helm in your deck, so you kind of just lose. Yeah, he was running four rest in peace and two helm, and on game one, he went turn two rest in peace, and then he went turn four helm, so he went off as fast as he possibly could have. And I had counter spells, but I had been using them for things like top, because that's usually what the most important card in the deck is going to be to counter. And he just, you know, he got it real quickly, so, yeah, these things happen. Okay, so I also have a tournament report. Um... As some of you may know, I host the Classic Series in Vancouver, and we had our uh, Autumn Legacy Classic. And it was last week, and it was really good. Uh, I won my own tournament. Cheater. Asshole. Obviously. Hey. So I had a a very decent run, so I played against um, Quad Laser Dredge and won. A very tight, uh, tight game. Lost to Affinity, which is a buy matchup junk, but sometimes it just doesn't work out. Uh, then I played against Tess and lost. Uh, just had the not hand. Didn't have the hate fast enough. Then I played against Patriot, and I won. And what else did I play against? Patriot, something, 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 something. And it was fine. So I top-aided. So then uh, in the top eight, I had to face Ant, and that uh, was my friend, unfortunately. However, he got mana screwed, really bad hands, multi-four. I had Gaddick Teague and Thalia, so that was kind of game over. Um, let's see, I'm actually going to read my tournament report a little bit, because I don't <laughs> Make sure that it's correct. Yeah, in order. I don't want to forget anybody, and they'll be like, Ah, why did you miss me? So okay. how many people were at the tournament? Not that many, unfortunately. Uh, just due to there was a PTQ on the same day. So instead of having like 40 people, we had 20. So it was a small, very small classic this time. Um, oh, and I also played against Painter. So basically, if you're playing against Painter as a three-color deck, keep a hand with basics, otherwise you yeah. lose. Just saying, guys. So I played against Painter. Uh, I lost game one because he's just like turn one Blood Moon, and I'm sitting on a five-card hand of, you know... Wasteland, uh, Scrubland Bayou, and that didn't work out well. Of, I think what you meant to say was of Mountain, 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 and Mountain. Correct. So that was not particularly entertaining, but then game two I had basic death right, and it was fine. Game three, same thing. I just have too much removal. He can't deal with it. Yeah, so like is... I said in the... Sorry? Uh, I was just going to say, this is why I hate Imperial Painter. It's such a bad deck. If your deck can beat Blood Moon at all... You can beat Painter so easily. 
pretty much, especially with Abrupt Decay in the format, they're like, grind you, and you're like, nah. So anyway, quarterfinals, I played against um, Warfordium on the Source, and uh, unfortunately crushed him. Then I played a two-hour semifinals game against uh, True Name Nemesis Band. <laughs> so we uh, we had actually designed this deck on Facebook, James and I, um, about two days previous, and we're like, yeah, this is how we build a deck to beat the format. And the deck was good. It was really good. However, I knew his 75, and... Well, obviously, you can keep better hands when you know the deck list. And um, so basically, in game one, he gets a quick Geist and a uh, Trina Nemesis. I just have, like, a bunch of three drops in my hand, and I die. So I bring in Deeds, Golgari, Charm, Pulse, Sylvan Safekeeper, and Lingering Souls. And I board out my Hand Disruption, my Goifs, and my Knights, because I know he's bringing in uh, Rest in Pieces. So basically, I leverage my deeds and my Golgari charms to blow out his key stuff. I keep Kaselic Pride Mage online to make sure he ha- can't bounce his Batter Skull, otherwise I kill it. And then Sylvan Library just, like, crushes him with card advantage. Uh, that game was 75 minutes. Jesus. Yep. So Lingering Souls took that game, actually, after he uh, pathed most of my guys. It was great. Uh, game three, Charms, I had an early deed, so I turned three deeded and left it online so he couldn't overextend. Then I played Liliana, then I deeded the board. Um, it was great. Liliana won the game. Not much to say there. Yeah, that's uh, what she's supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, and that game was almost 60 minutes. So basically, uh, one of the guys actually had to leave, the guy who I was playing in the finals with, had to leave in 45 minutes when we started the finals. Uh, but he was playing Tess, so we knew that it was going to be over. Uh, basically, I lose to a Diminishing Return Hands. Diminishing Returns hand on uh, in Game 1. He just has it, and I don't. Uh, game 2, he gives a slower hand, but I thought seize, and then Gaddictique on turn 2. Um, and it was great. I just had Cabal Therapy... And then Dryad Arbor, so I rip part his double LED, double ritual hand, and then I killed him. Game three, he leads with Thoughtseize, taking my Ganicteague, but then I rip Thalia and get him. So if I didn't rip Thalia, I lost, and if I ripped Thalia, I won, and it did, so. We were playing basically at that point over a Scalding Tarn, because that was the difference between first and second, and yeah, so it was good. So I heard that, Bob, you played in some tournaments at some point, and you may have done okay. That tell is accurate. T- tell us about it. Sure. So um, I actually, I'm from Boston originally, but I moved to uh, the Virginia area for work, and I've been there since uh, about July, and I actually, uh, I actually quit my job. So basically my full-time job was just uh, playtesting Legacy for a few months. So I was really looking forward to the... Uh, the GP, and it actually happened to be in Chantilly, which was about 20 minutes from where I lived. So I spent a lot of time um, sort of exploring different deck choices. Um, you know, I was considering Sneak and Show at one point, I was considering Blue White Red Delver, but ultimately um, I settled on Bug Delver. And you can actually see my tournament report on Channel Fireball. It'll probably be a lot more in detail than I can remember it now, but uh, basically I, I ran incredibly well with the deck. Uh, I was lucky that it never really, you know, pooped on itself and. Yeah, I made top 16 in D.C., so that was pretty sweet. One thing I want to 
sidebar real quick. You point out it was in Chantilly, Virginia. I am sick of these TOs saying things are places that they're not. Because this place was $68 cab ride away from Washington, D.C. That's because you took the wrong... Uh, you probably went to Reagan, right? You should have gone to uh, Dulles. No, I went to Dulles. It was If you wanted to go to the city, though, it was uh, not easy. Just like yeah, as a comparison, like GP Houston is in downtown Houston. GP DC was like a 30 or 40 minute drive outside of DC. Yeah, that's how they get you. Yeah. Makes it a little harder, especially when you're somewhere like DC that has so much stuff that, uh, that out-of-towners are going to want to do. It's really hard when you have your event that far away, so you can either be in town and have it be hard to go to the event, or be near the event and have it be really hard to go into town. That's just a, what was one of my little complaints about uh, about the GP. Anyway, sorry, continue your report. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, do you guys have any particular things you'd be more interested in, in me recounting? Talk about the deck list. Um, sure, okay, so... So I was playing the standard Bug Delver deck list, which basically the main deck is a uh, set in stone of 58 cards, and there were sort of two flex slots. So basically the main deck is uh, 20 lands, and then the creature suite is 4 Death Rites, 4 Delivers, 4 Goifs, and 2 Tombstalkers. Um, we chose to play Tombstalker over True Name Nemesis, because although... Um, oh, so I tested it with a bunch of guys from Curio Cavern, so like Nightwolf from the Source, um, the Hatfields... And, you know, this is the list that we settled on. And we chose to play Tombstalker over True Name because although we thought True Name was a lot more powerful in a vacuum, we felt like Tombstalker sort of just goes way over the top over True Name and, like, kind of laughs at that card. So if you look at our creature suite, um, Tombstalker, Delver, and Deathrite don't really care about True Name. Tarmogoyf does care, but if they're attacking with True Name, which is a 3-1, then you can swing back with, like, a 4-5 or a 5-6, so you're still in pretty good shape. Um... Other spells, Abrupt Decay, Brainstorm, Days, Force of Will, Hymn to Torok, Ponder, are sort of um, the instants and sorceries that are set in stone. They're just incredibly broken. Um, funny thing about this deck, Team America, it's not played very much over in the U.S. It's played a little bit more over in Europe, but 11 of the 12 cards... Uh, it's playing 11 of the 12 most played cards in Legacy, uh, according to mtgdecks.net. So that's, it's pretty good when all the cards in your deck are broken. Um, and so there were two flex slots, and for those two slots, I chose to play Sylvan Library, because that card is insane. As I've been telling level. everyone. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And the reason, you know, this deck doesn't play two is because it already plays Brainstorms and Ponders. Otherwise, it definitely, you know, could play two. Uh, and then the other flex slot, I chose to play Liliana of the Veil. Dan chose to play Disfigure. Uh, I, I just wanted to have another card that wasn't dead against combo, um, so I chose to play Liliana of the Veil instead. And then for the sideboard, um, it's one creeping tarpit, one creeping tarpit, three disfigure, one engineered plague, three Golgari charms, one Liliana of the Veil, two spell pierce, three stifle, and one Vendillion click. And I think um, most of the cards in the sideboard were, were really good. That was actually the time I spent the most time um, trying to figure out what I wanted there, and it ended up working up, out really well. Disfigure is just insane right now. It kills every single creature in the format that you care about. So like Deathrite Shaman. Stoneforge Mystic, Young Pyromancer, Dark Confidant, um, they all just die to Disfigure. The only thing it doesn't kill is Tarmogoyf, and you already have Abrupt Decay for that, or your own Goyfs, or Tombstalker. So, yeah, that card was fantastic. Um, the other card that was really good is Golgari Charm. You guys have been talking about this card as well, and it's just, it's absolutely bonkers in uh, Team America, because it does everything you want. Not only does it kill, you know, the pesky Mother of Runes, or Elves, which is also a pretty bad matchup, um, it kills Rest in Peace, which 
kind of hoses your creature base and makes you unable to you know do much. Um, and it also kills Blood Moon, Sneak Attack, Leyline of Sanctity uh, against Sneak and Show, and then it also counters Supreme Verdict and Abrupt Decay and like Lightning Bolt too. So it just literally does everything. It's it's the Cadillac of our uh, sideboard right now. And, yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, all the other choices were um, were pretty standard to fight combo. Um, sorry, Matt, you're gonna say something. I was just gonna say I agree. Golara Charm is is very very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually considering moving maybe one or two to the main deck, just because the only deck it's really dead against game one is Storm, and every other deck it has applications against, and it's just really good against some of our bad matchups game one, uh, like Death and Taxes and um, Elves. But yeah, so that's that's the deck list. Um, I ended up changing up a few things for Providence. I ended up cutting the Stifles. The Stifles were there mainly for Shardless Bug and Jund, and those decks uh, have been sort of on the decline lately because they don't really take full advantage of True Name Nemesis. So I cut the Stifles, and then I added a, a Crossing Grip to deal with Batter Skull and uh, a couple other spells to deal with, you know, True Blade. Okay, cool. So overall, would you change anything from your last particular finish? Um, I haven't really thought that much about the deck, to be honest. Um, I, th I liked my list a lot from Providence, so I think I would probably just stick with that, maybe change up a few things depending on the expected metagame. But I I like it a lot so far, and as I, I as I mentioned, like the one thing I might try out is a main deck Golgari Charm, because that card is just is just insane. <laughs> so one of the things I noticed looking at this is you said Tombstalker over True Name, and my first thought on that is um, against a lot of decks in Legacy, Tombstalker is almost the same anyway. It's it's going to be unblockable against a large portion of decks, and you think that uh, that being too bigger is just really just that big of a difference. Yeah, so it actually is. Like, Tombstalker, if you think about it, it's like a three-turn clock, usually. Um, and it's, it's just, like, once it hits the board, it ends the game so quickly, so they have very little time to draw their outs. And so, basically, the only spell that really kills Tombstalker efficiently is Source of Plowshares. And then, you know, when you're playing against Blue, White, Red, uh, it's, it often comes down to a race. So if they Source of Plowshares or Tombstalker, you're like, you don't Yeah, like sweet, it, I'm ahead. Not, yeah, you're not in the worst shape, either. Um, and because it doesn't die to Abrupt Decay, it doesn't die to Lightning Bolt, uh, it's pretty damn hard to kill, basically. And so, yeah, there was one game I, I played against Eric Smith um, on camera at Star City Games Providence. He was playing Jund, and in the Jund matchup, like, there's no way he can deal with it as long as I have another creature out so he can't Liliana me. Toomstalker just kills him so quickly. So, yeah, I, like, good. I, it was a fantastic choice, and I would definitely stick with it. You could also play True Name Nemesis. Yeah, like I said, if you play True Name Nemesis in this deck... Um, I would recommend probably playing Thoughtseize over him to Turok, just so your mana base isn't Terabad. Um, but, you know, I think him to Turok is a much stronger card than Thoughtseize. Although Thoughtseize, you know, Thoughtseize is fine too against um, Stoneforge Mystic decks, but I like him to Turok so much because you get so many free wins. Like, you might mana screw them or take their own only relevant spells. It's just like a fantastic card. What about, uh, the thing I'm worried about with Tombstalker is eating your own graveyard when you're playing Tarmogoyf and Deathrite Shaman. Yeah, that actually, believe it or not, it doesn't matter because, or it doesn't come up that often when it matters, because Tombstalker is just so big that it ends the game so quickly by itself, and your opponents usually have a graveyard too, so Goyf won't really shrink to more than like a, to less than a 3-4, um, and at that point Deathrite Shaman is just, is just draining them too, so... 
And, and usually they also have removal spells to kill your Goyfs and Deathray Shaman, so then when the Tombstalker hits the board, it, it's just your, uh, your end game. Okay, cool. So now I guess what we're going to do is move on to talking about True Name Nemesis, because you even mentioned your design with True Name in mind. So obviously, Bob, you've considered what True Name is doing to the format, whether it's good or bad or... Oh yeah, yeah, I thought a lot about the card. Like, when it first was spoiled, I like... I was just gonna like spill. If I had a drink, I would have spilt it because I was just like, "Whoa, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit!" And so I spent like the next month or two trying to figure out, you know, where to play it in. I tried it in Bant. I tried it in Merfolk, um, because I thought the card was absurdly broken. Which I, okay, I guess I now I wouldn't say I think it's absurdly broken, but it's just like such a stupid card. Yeah, like the games that I was playing on, um, on like Magic Workstation and Cockatrice, it was just like, oh, hit the board, oh, I win in like three or four turns, great. Yeah, I really like the opinion. I've seen a couple people on the source pad out. They say, you know, I don't want to see this banned, but I would like to have seen it never be made in the first place. Like it's definitely non-interactive. Is the problem? Yeah, when, when it comes down, like, um, against, for example, with me with Miracles, my options are, and I've got more than most people, I've got a couple sweepers and dealing with the equipment, and that's about all you've got. Like, I'm not sure why the card was not printed with either A, protection from everything, so it's a mini progenitus, meaning you can't equip it, so it'd just be a 3-1 whatever, or B, it had hexproof unblockable. Well, I think the the claim at least will be that this is not made for a two on or a one on one game. This is made for you know a five person free for all, where um, you know I'm gonna play True Name and I'm gonna attack uh, you know Sean and Sean's gonna be pissed about it, but Matt's gonna let me do it for a little while and then he's gonna kill it. Yeah, but the thing is, then don't cost it for Legacy. That's true. Yeah, like it, they even said that they designed it for EDH and then they're like, but let's push it for Legacy. And that's just a bad idea, especially when you don't test. So how would you cost this to uh, to be more fair? Well, I think if you need to cost it out of the format, you just make it 4-mana. Because yeah. a 4-mana, a 3-1 that does this is not good enough. If it was a 4-power for 4 that did this at 4-mana would be still playable. So I think a 3-1 for 4-mana is not playable, because at 4-mana, you better be chasing me. Well, it seems like if the, if your plan is going to be two-colored and two-colorless for something that has protection from everything, just play natural order. Yeah, pretty much. And I get a 10-10, right? So, Or a crater hoof, and I just get to kill you right then. <laughs> seems okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you guys just mentioned. Um, I don't blame them for designing the card for Commander. Like, that's totally fair. It was just like a complete oversight um, as to you know, its effect on Legacy. The funny part about it is, like, they actually had an article released about, you know, designing cards for Eternal Formats, and how they were just like, oh, we did this great job, look at this card, unexpectedly absent. <laughs> and then, it just like, okay, that card is almost irrelevant. Unexpectedly absent from the format. Yeah, there hey. we go. That seems like unexpectedly absent is one of those cards. It might see a little play uh, in a little while when the format has finished adjusting to True Name. Because it seems like one of the things it's strongest at, to me, is hitting a counterbalance. And it, um, that's something that might start happening more often as people move to decks with more sweepers to handle True Name Nemesis. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you mentioned, um, and I think this is something we should discuss, is 
there's a couple source threads on this is is the banning of true name nemesis so you said that you would have preferred not to have seen it at all in the first place and i i would agree with that um but on the other hand if that's the case then like what is so bad about just banning this card because i think you know there's a couple arguments for why you would ban a card um in terms of sheer power level i think we could keep it here because as you see um there are plenty of answers for it in the format and it's not you know dominating top eights anywhere close to like what survival or like mental messed up was on the other hand it just it takes so much interactivity out of the game it's not fun even if you win a lot of people are going to play this card because they're winning with it but it's not really you know particularly fun for them it's not showing off any of their you know skills or, or whatever just to drop a 3-1 equip it and then have their opponents have absolutely no outs in their deck or just like very few ways of dealing with it a lot of a lot of people and even wizards complains about like the non-interactivity of legacy or how sometimes it can be non-interactive. So then why would you print a card that was that non-interactive? What's the point? Right? Well, yeah. and so, my my big thing about wanting to ban it is I'm I'm anti-ban at least for now is that um it seems like calls for banning are coming sooner and sooner. And I would like to see it be three to six months where we let the metagame adjust and see, you know, people playing maybe more counter spells, more, uh, more sweepers, more equipment uh, destruction. Because if you destroy the equipment attached to it, a three-one is a pretty long clock. No, I also got to remember, like yeah. a three-one, like Ventilian Clique is a three-one, and most of the time, most people aren't playing flying creatures anyway so it's like having at without the equipment it's like just having a vanillian clique that can also block yeah i yeah. I, yeah, I suppose so and it's it kind of sets up that uh, as we mentioned when we first talked about it it sets up that wall where uh it's almost like an energy field for their side but it but only for one creature because if you play that their biggest guy doesn't get to attack essentially which is um that's one of the other things about it that makes it kind of non-interactive is I can't even just beat you to death because you can just stand there and take it. A creature gains trample when it would be blocked by Trinity Nemesis? That would also be okay? A funny thing, I just learned that uh, apparently if you if you attack with a creature, they block with a true name, and then you skullcrack them, the true name will die now because the damage can't be prevented. This is when all of us go look up skullcrack to make sure we know what it does. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. Skullcrack. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. And is that a card that's going to go from two cents to, well, it's an uncommon, so a dollar? <laughs> I mean, I, I was just saying, this is another way you could you could potentially get around uh, the beast that is True Name Nemesis. I mean, personally, like, my plan for getting around True Name Nemesis is, as long as you can beat the equipment, like Sam was saying, you don't care a whole lot. Like I mean, Liliana increases in val like in how good she is in mm -hmm. value. Golgari charm, like all the, it's gonna cause a metagame shift for sure, which is kind of what we wanted to talk about, you know, a few minutes from now, not necessarily right now. But um, how you adapt to it is basically the black green decks are going to have to play more equipment removal, and the blade decks are just gonna be the blade TNN decks. Well, and as an example of that shift, um, I played against some Black X decks last weekend, and I think in four rounds, so against, or five rounds against five opponents, I saw like seven innocent bloods. 
And that's just that's a card that is um, with with that many, it's maybe a little bit of an overreaction. But that's an example of how the metagame will shift. Everything will be fine once everyone starts kind of retuning their decks to handle things, and we get this nice progression that we don't get in a lot of other formats. Where you know something like Trinan comes out, everyone ad adjusts to either play or beat it. And then people adjust to those changes, and it continually evolves. And that's one of the reasons I love Legacy is because you can do all that. You can also you can make your plans for it and say, you know, okay, everyone's going to be trying to attack True Name this tournament, so I know I can attack the way they're attacking it. And that's one of the reasons I don't want to see it banned is that it makes the format interesting to continue to have these kind of changes. Okay, no, I can agree with that. I just think, like... Games where True Name are involved are just incredibly stupid. Just like the game um, Sam Black had against Owen, it was just like, oh, who has more True Name nemeses? Who has the bigger dig, you know? And I, I just, like, absolutely hated that. And the other point I would make is, not, you know, not only does it make games not fun to watch, but the next banned restricted announcement would be in February. So I think by then we might have a better idea of how the metagame is going to evolve and adapt. And, you know, maybe it'll adapt enough so that True Name decks will you know, just be another slice of a metagame, kind of like Delver decks, but, you know, maybe they'll be, they'll still be very dominant, and then we can, you know, reassess whether or not a banning should be um, put into effect. Another, another point that also kind of grinds my gears about this is the fact that, A, say this card is really, really good in Legacy, which so far it seems to be not too bad. You put it in a box set with limited run. Now, even though it's an unlimited run, that they've said, don't get me wrong. Stores sell out. Like, you need to wait. So it's like, I need, say, three True Name Nemesis. Where do I go get them? Do I have to go to eBay and pay infinite money? What store is selling them for MSRP? Like, their distribution of a possible um, pillar of the format seems like a bad idea. Well, in addition to that, there's a lot of people who, uh, I've seen a lot of people online who were not going to get this set, and they're not even legacy players looking for true names. They've just assumed that, because previous commander sets have been limited, that they weren't going to be able to get these. And when they found out that these are not a limited print run product, they say, um, okay, perfect, um, I'm going to go out and buy 5EDH decks. And that's made it even harder to get some of the stuff. And while they are printing more, and I know like my local game store is still getting shipments, they're getting shipments in like two of each deck every two weeks. And there's, they're doing the thing like posting on the website, hey, these come out on Wednesday. We open at noon. Don't get mad if you don't get one if you're not here at, on, on Wednesday at noon. Um, and that's that's a, you know a little bit of a distribution problem, maybe a little bit of a planning problem. But um, these products are super popular, and it's not just Legacy, and that's something that uh, everyone needs to be prepared for. And that's from Wizards down to the local gaming store level. Alright, so I think that's the impact. I mean, I guess now, uh, Bob, if you want to talk about the actual results, like this whole like December 2013 Legacy thing, you can talk about how in the past couple of tournaments, TNN, percentages, etc., if you want to talk for, like, five or ten minutes. Um, yeah, sure. So, essentially, what we see is, um, so I, basically, uh, for those who don't know, I did a November Legacy Metagame Analysis. You can find that on eternalcentral.com. And then I did another one for the post-TNN world. So, basically, since TNN uh, was released uh, on November 1st, 
And basically what we saw is, you know, move away from Shardless Bug and towards these uh, various Stone Blade variants, whether that's Death Blade, Esper Blade, or straight blue-white. Uh, and these decks have been doing really well. Um, in fact, just a couple of random statistics out there. Uh, True Name Nemesis is, has been in 28% of top-performing decks. Um, and that's actually, so that's less than Stoneforge Mystic, which is... 32%, and Delver of Secrets, which is 30%, but it's more than Deathrite Shaman, and more than Tarmogoyf, so that's that's uh, how big it's been since the release. And, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense, because I guess True Name Nemesis is sort of the uh, next new face, and everybody was trying to abuse it, but it also matches up very well against Tarmogoyf, so... Um, so we begin to see a little bit of a metagame shift towards True Name Nemesis, and there actually has a lot of... Um, interesting implications for the format. So, uh, Rug Delver is still the top deck, and, you know, they have plenty of answers for a 3-drop, um, whether it's just countering it, or, or racing it, uh, or going over the top with Delver Secrets. Um, but another interesting implication of that is um, these fair decks. Like, if you look at Owen uh, Turtonwald's GP winning list, um, because they're playing True Name Nemesis, they have a lot more space in their sideboard that they can devote to combo. So he's actually able to play four meddling mages. And um, from what I've been hearing from combo players, and I've been talking to my friends about this who play Storm, who play Show and Tell, that's like a nightmare for them because it's just it's a lot harder to just beat um, to, to to beat hate bears plus counter spells than to beat just counter spells or just hate bears. And if that's what the format is moving towards, um, combo is going to have a lot harder of a time. And you can also see that a little bit in these um, statistics. Basically, uh, in my last analysis, combo was around 40% of the format, and right now it dropped to 29% of the format. So that's going to be interesting um, to see going forward if, if that's actually the case, because True Name Nemesis is so good against the fair decks, they can devote less slots against the fair decks and more slots against the unfair decks, um, is the idea. I approve of this analysis. Yep, and I like that you've pointed out, I've seen a lot of people in the Rugs threads saying that they're worried about Rugs' chances against True Name, and I think that Rugs' plan against True Name is either counter or race it, and racing it is definitely a viable option. Um, as an example of the most ridiculous amount of racing it, I played Merfolk recently, and they resolve a True Name, and you accidentally made it a 5-3, and then you swing for like 27 and don't care anyway. Like, I think I think Rug Delver especially is going to have to basically say, okay, how many Ancient Grudge would I like to pack in my sideboard to deal with their equipment? For the last several months, that's been at least two, usually two in like a Crows and Grip or three. So I don't think that's really that big of a concern anyway. Okay, well, if you weren't, now you are. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. You should definitely play at least two, probably three. Um, because, yeah, like, like we said, you know, Rug can be... A 3-1 progenitus. Pretty much. I mean, like you were saying, though, I think definitely instead of having... Like, the Blade decks have definitely fallen out of favor because the Black-Green decks in the past little bit have just been really good. And and they should be. They deserve their time in the sun, considering we've never really had it. Now, I think your mid-range, your entire quote-unquote mid-range has now split into Black-Green X mid-range and now Blade mid-range. Mm-hmm. So, it's... It's now you've just got another flavor of mid-range. However, the blade decks are going to be really, really good, and they also most of the blade decks. I mean, they're all going to be playing blue, so I mean they're going to be a little bit better against combo too. So you'll probably see more people picking them up just to have that little extra edge against combo. So 
sad. Yep. Well, you know, there is a, I, I don't know exactly where it is, and I'm not going to go search for it because it will make me angry, but Wizards has straight up said that uh, mid-range is the way that they want magic as a game to go in the long term, is that it, they don't want it to be the trinity of combo, control, and aggro. They want it to be the trinity of uh, combo, aggro, and uh, mid-range, which I think is a little boring. Maybe we could have it be a four-way, not a three-way. You know, that's more exciting, but that is the way that they intend on having the game go long-term, so be prepared. You can always go long-term with a four-way. That's true. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> the thing is, though, like, especially I'm looking at, say, at least for me, I'm going to the Starcy Games Invitational in a month. I, fuck, it's not even a month. It's like two weeks. Shit. Cool. Uh, I, guess I, should, I guess I should start playing Standard. Um, oh, yeah. That was... Uh... Okay, so so actually, um, just gonna interject here for a moment. I got ninth in Providence on Breakers. So while that was unfortunate, um, I realized that now I was not qualified for the Invitational, so I would not need to uh, kind of puke on myself and play Standard for a month in, prepar- in preparation. So that was that was good. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the sad part is I have to uh, actually play Standard, which I'm not gonna buy any of the cards. I'll just borrow them. Uh, because that's dirt, playing standard is dirty, so I won't at least I won't go as far as to buy them. <laughs> but I mean, looking looking ahead for um, for the Invitational, I think what what I'm going to have to face is basically a lot of uh, TNN Blade decks, along with Patriot Delver, or Rug Delver. However, I don't think I'll see a lot of Bug Delver just because people want to be playing with their true name Nemesis that they've picked up, in my opinion. So. Hooray. Well, being that the last Invitational was extremely uh, sneak-and-show heavy, of course most of that was Team Star City, is that something that you'll also be preparing a lot for, or do you think they'll be transferring over to something TNN-based? I think they'll be transferring to something TNN-based, because, like, okay, so sneak-and-show is a good deck, but it has a problem against permanent-based hate, so, I mean, you can fight discard, because you can just draw another piece of whatever. But facing, say, Pithing Needle... Pithing Needle is really bad against uh, for Sneak and Show. So basically, I think I think a lot of the sideboards of these Sneak and Show decks are not running any bounce. Well, why would you not run any bounce? Well, because most of the time you didn't need it. Now, you're going to have to cut sideboards play so you can balance like meddling mages and stuff? That seems awful. So I think people are just going to go, fuck this, switch to Blade, and then just hit, play their own meddling mages and stuff and just go blow a combo. So I think for me, being a junk player, which I'm not going to switch decks now, I know it's not the best deck in the format, but I know it the best, and I know the matchups. So I may tune my sideboard a little bit. However, Golgari Charm and Pernicious Deed have proved very, very good. Very, very good. Can't stress this enough. Against the TNN Blade decks. Against the Bant Blade decks that I played against, Golgari Charm was obviously really good because you're playing a bunch of zero ones. So, however, the Noble Hierarch Clock was definitely something. So basically TNN, two Noble Hierarchs, and suddenly you're getting fived. Mm, wasn't wasn't super exciting for me. It's when you start having to swords those Noble Hierarchs and just hating yourself for it. Yep, that did happen. There was a lot of self-loathing when I had to do that. But no, I think I think running... All I'll have to do is change up my sideboard, and I think we should be okay. It sounds good. Look forward to seeing you like in the winner's circle or whatever they have at the Invitational. <laughs> hey, top 32 means $500. So hey, that's not that's... bad. That's what I'm going for. So, now moving on, what do you guys think is the best true name nemesis deck, and the best anti-true name nemesis deck, or 
just card choices. I know we talked a little bit about this, but so Sam, then Bob. Um, well, you know, being a dirty control player, I really like Miracles against it because I'm running a fair number of three drops. Um, I'm running, I'm running the enchantments build, so energy field, so they're not going to be able to hit me anyway. Uh, but the big thing is you can fit a ton of sweepers into that deck. Um, I know at one point Joe was playing three terminus with one board and a Supreme Verdict. That's got to be double what anything else in the format's playing. So, um. I think Miracles is a strong choice just because you can fit all of those uh, all of those mass removal spells. Um, honestly, I didn't. I haven't played a whole lot with it, but uh, I play, like I said, I played Merfolk last weekend, and it wasn't bad just because um, you can race that thing really easy, and it can't block you most of the time. So they pull out a they pull out a true name, and yeah, you accidentally gave it plus two or plus three. But you're also giving your six or seven Merfolk plus two and plus three, and that's not really a big deal at that point. So I think it's possible that Merfolk might see a little more play uh, based on that, just the because it, it can just race it. It doesn't need to counter it. So Merfolk was actually my starting point for playing True Name Nemesis. I mean, it was just um, the most obvious place to start. And I think Mer- uh, True Name Nemesis is very, very good in Merfolk, and I would agree with that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, Merfolk is still just kind of a bad deck. Uh, all it has is silver, uh, silver gill add up to get through, you know, its clunky draws, and I just like found that not to be enough um, to compete with these other other decks. So I actually think the best build for um, True Name Nemesis, or the best home for it rather, is Deathblade, because you have you have both the mana acceleration of Deathrite Shaman, you have Stoneforge Mystic for the equipment, um, and you also have answers for opposing True Name Nemesis in the form of Zealous Persecution or Liliana of the Veil. And I think both those cards are going to see a big uptick in play if the if the format is still um, a True Name Nemesis format. So I really actually like Deathblade right now. And um, actually, you know, a couple of different builds of Deathblade can still afford to run like one or two basics. And so that means uh, it won't just auto-lose to Blood Moon like the old versions of Deathblade. So I really like Deathblade right now. I think it's the, I think it's the best True Name deck. Yeah, I think the best true name deck is probably Esperblade or possibly a Bant build because I think with Bant, like you have a you have a lot of variety in having the Green Sun Zenith package as well, like going to fetch up Caselli Pride Mage, as well as a Noble Hierarch or Rocks War Monk. Rocks War Monk was actually quite good in the uh, the deck that we played. Uh, Sylvan Safekeeper, like again, very good. However, it gets hurt a little bit more by Golgari Charm than the other deck. So we'll have to see kind of how that goes. Best anti-TNN card choices, obviously Supreme Verdict, Terminus, Moat, Engineered Explosives, Pernicious Deed, Golgari Charm, Zealous Persecution, um, and just stuff like Ancient Grudge. I mean, if I was if I was playing Jund, I would basically just play the Punishing Fire Jund package, and then I would just play extra uh, stuff in the sideboard. So I'd just play extra Ancient Grudge, and I'd probably play an extra Sylvan Library so I can see more stuff. And I'm pretty sure Jund can do alright against Esperblade. Oh yeah. I think Jund is another one of those that uh, they're just... While, Lil- while Liliana is one excellent option for them, I think most of the time Jund's plan is just going to be to overwhelm them with uh, with guys. Just overwhelm them with fairness. Well, I mean, I don't know how fair Bloodbraid Elf is. Eh, Very fair. In Legacy, it's pretty fair, yeah. It's turn four. You're jacing on Bloodbraiding, you know. Hopefully into Angel Grudge, though. Yeah. <laughs> Wee. All right. So then, 
I'm just going to look at the source thread to see if there's anything else we can kind of talk about. Broken cards, cards to watch out for. I don't think there's anything we can really watch out for because there's no set coming out. Yeah, this is one of this is a really long time between sets. Uh, it's what almost five months between Theros and Born of the Gods. Yeah. Well, that'll make your Theros cards nice and cheap, all like two playable ones. Yep. A crazy play that any of you had recently in any tournament, like an insane play. Um. Well, I've recounted this on Twitter once, but uh, <clears throat> I played in Two Ticket Tuesday last week, which is the two dollar sealed on Moto. And uh, I went turn one, the sliver that gives everyone flying, turn two, muscle sliver, turn three, muscle sliver, didn't draw anything else for the entire rest of the game, and won. And I did that twice. I approve. It was very satisfying. In a a format that's not nearly as powerful as Legacy, it was very satisfying to win on, like, turn five. This was, like, cube, or? This is sealed. Uh, Not cube sealed, this was just, like, M14 sealed. Yeah, this was M14 sealed. Okay, that's that's awesome. Uh, actually, you just reminded me of something. Uh, if you guys go to the GPDC coverage, one of my friends, Kyle Pittleman, he won a grinder with five color aggro slivers, which I think is the most hilarious deck in the format. Uh, it's not it's it's not really a deck, but it's it should be a deck. Uh, it's a deck that um here let me go find the the list right now. Um, it's a deck that's basically you know four ether vials, two dismembers whole bunch of rainbow lands, and then just all slivers. It's playing four Gale Riders, uh, and four of the first strike slivers, and then, you know, all the sliver lords, crystalline sliver. And this deck just has an incredibly good matchup against all the other, like, creature decks, because you just get bigs so fast. And you also, um, if you have crystalline sliver, they can't kill any of your stuff. So it kind of is a is an auto-win against um, a lot of the creature strategies in the format. And in addition to that, it just, like, sucks hard against combo like it's not playing force of will or wasteland so it basically can't beat combo at all game one so then in the board it just plays uh 15 hate bears so it, i just think it's like one of the funniest decks i've ever seen um yet so if you go to the day one coverage and um go to the grinder deck lists you can see kyle Pittleman uh with his slivers deck and i just think it's so awesome oh he, he even has a mirror entity uh in there and um, there were a couple times where I, I saw him, like, blow out people hard. He had an Aether Vial on three, people would declare blocks, and then he would be like, Mirror Entity, clear your board. It was, it was no. so much fun to watch. That's ridiculous. Uh, insane play for me? Probably something along the lines of... Let's see. I think I double-smitered somebody. I can't remember when. Like off, However, a, off a him? Off a him to Toronto. Oh my god. <laughs> I, had three cards, I had three cards in hand, and uh, this person was not aware of the fact that I was playing Luxon and Spider. So of course I'm like, yep, him resolves, and just the person just shit their pants. <laughs> and a turn later they were just like, and let's go to game three. Alright. I lost game one pretty hard, but I never, I had them in my hand. I'm like, no, no, you don't get to see these. I'll just scoop. Nope, game two, gotcha. So that was that was that was a pretty good gotcha play. Oh man, that's so good. Yeah, Loxon Inspire gets better if people um, start playing more Liliana, steal true names. Exactly. Um, I'm a big fan of Loxon Smiter. He can't be countered. Doesn't die to rest in peace. Yeah, it's funny. He's one of those can't be countered cards that see less play. So then uh, a lot of people will forget that he can't be countered. <laughs> 
I got Lily. I got uh, smitered in game one of my Bant matchup because my turn three play against his like Geist or whatever. He had like three creatures out at that time. I'm like, okay, I can't minus two here. Like, there's no point. I'll just make him discard the last card in his hand. Maybe it's an equipment. Nope, it's a fucking Luxidan Smiter. So I just died even harder game one. So yeah, that's how that's how my life is. That's that's where I get to live. Um, so Shawan from the source, Shawon, Shawan, Sean, whoever it is. Uh, post number six said, uh, since your last episode, you made a suggestion to never leave Graveyard Hate at Home. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about the subject. A potential topic could be discussing exactly how one can prepare their sideboard to fight the Graveyard without overcommitting to it, given the deck that they're using. So, starting with Sam, then Bob, then me, talk about Graveyard Hate and how many slots you should run, depending on the deck. Well, um, this is an interesting thing I've been talking with some friends about recently, is, um, I got into Legacy about five or six years ago, and back then, even even then, Dredge wasn't a huge thing. But if you weren't running at least three pieces of Graveyard Hate, you were doing it wrong. And uh, I try and stay with around that many. And depending on your deck, you might run a lot more, simply because um, Graveyard Hate, it doesn't just beat the Graveyard decks, the Graveyard decks being like Reanimator and Dredge. It also does things like Hosing Deathrite and Termagoyf, and a lot of other stuff that bases itself on the Graveyard. So, uh, it, for example, in my Miracles build, I'm running three gra- only three pieces of Graveyard Hate, but it's Rest in Peace, which I can get with Enlightened Tutor, and it's in my main deck. Um, in the the uh, Merfolk deck I put together, I'm running three pieces of Graveyard Hate. It's three Relic of Pretenda. So I think three is your minimum. Uh, depending on what you're playing or what you're playing against, that might change. For example, if you're playing your own Deathrite Shaman or your own uh, Termagoyf, maybe Rest in Peace isn't the way to go. You might need to go for something like Relic of Progenitus that can get just their graveyard or uh, Tormod's Crypt, which can get just their graveyard. But I think three is probably where you want to be unless you just straight up and die to a reanimator or dredge strategy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, again, I also think it depends a lot on what deck you're playing. Um, for example, you know, if you're playing Bug Delver and you already have four main deck Deathrite Shamans, you could probably get away with only playing one or two pieces of Graveyard Hate in the board. And then, like, yeah, if you're playing Tarmogoyfs and Deathrites in your deck, then maybe you want to play Nile Spellbomb or Grafdigger's Cage um, instead of... Um, instead of cards like Relic of Progenitus. So that all makes sense, but... Uh, so my strategy for DC was, um, I, I felt like Reanimator was already a pretty good matchup, so I didn't need to worry about it too much. And then Dredge was actually a very bad matchup, and I felt like I would need to devote, like, probably two or three slots. Because um, Deathrite Shaman just is not that great against Dredge. Sometimes they can just, like, power through it. Um, so I felt like I needed to devote too many slots to, to beat a deck that I felt like I wouldn't see too much of. So, you know, that's the other way of just, you know, maybe not playing any Graveyard Hate at all if you have no chance against Reanimator or Dredge. Maybe just, like, you know, give up those matchups and then use your sideboard slots for something that's actually going to, you know, help you win more at a tournament. Um, so those are sort of the two ways that you can you can go about it. And um, as far as Graveyard Hate cards, right now I really like uh, Grafdigger's Cage because it, you can use it against Storm, it shuts off Plastin Flames, and you can use it against Elves, which, and it shuts down uh, Green Sun Zenith and Natural Order, and, and, you know, Julian was saying that that's actually the card that he fears the most. Uh, he, he doesn't, he, he would rather uh, play against Engineered Plague than play against Graftigger's Cage, so I think that's definitely saying something. 
Yeah, I agree. I was going to say, like, it really depends on your matchup. If you're a black-green X player like me, I'm running four uh, Deathrite Shaman and two Ooze main with greens and zeniths. So I think I'm a little bit more prepared, as opposed to the most people who are playing just four Deathrite Shaman. Uh, I actually got called out on playing Ooze main. Somebody was like, who plays Ooze main? It's Legacy, boys. Can't really expect too much. So, I... Most of the time, I would probably run one to two pieces of Graveyard Hate in the side. So, whether it's, you know, I wouldn't play Relic of Virginia's, but Grafdigger's Cage, or Crypt, Spellbomb, Fairy Macabre, whatever. Or Bajuka Bog, because I'm running um, Knight. But, I think if the matchup is so terrible for you, that even four Graveyard Hate cards in your sideboard makes it iffy, I would just say not bother. Just just don't worry just about it. Just hope not it. to hit that match. Yep. Which and, is, and, that's a fair strategy in Legacy with as many decks as there are. Sometimes it's better to say, you know, I just hope I don't play against it. Yeah, I just lose to this deck, and that's it. Um, I think right now, graveyard-based strategies are really powerful. I just think that the people who are playing them, like, let's put it this way, the last time I found somebody who was really, really skilled at playing Quad Laser Dredge was a little, excuse me, was a little while ago. Um, most people seem to have not been on their graveyard-based deck for long enough to make it so that I have to run more cards. That's true, uh, especially with Dredge. Dredge is often a budget choice, not a deck choice, really. So you do have the possibility that, especially like against Dredge, that you might be running up against someone who might not know the format as well. Exactly. Uh, another request was year in review and predictions for 2014. So I think we kind of already covered this, but basically since... Born of the Gods doesn't come out till like, what, January, February? Yeah. February. Like, yeah, the metagame is not going to change much until basically GP Paris, if there's any cards in Born of the Gods that actually do anything. Well, I certainly hope so. Theros was a bit disappointing from a legacy standpoint. Well, Swan Song's beginning to uh, see some more play. And Rorikthar. Rurik- oh, wait, no, that was Dragon's Maze, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I guess, I guess just Swan Song, man. Yeah, Swan Song has. I, I can see Swan Song picking up some play, but I mean it's really good against Sneak and Show, because countering either their hard countering, either their sneak attack or their show and tell is relevant. But other than that, like Theros did not have many good things, at least for Legacy. Boy. Lewis Laskin has been playing uh, Thassa in his Miracles deck. I think that's pretty cool. As a one of. Like, I think Thassa is okay, don't get me wrong. Uh, scrying every turn for a control deck is where you want to be. However, is that good enough? Yeah, paying paying like, four is not where you want to be, though. I think you yeah, want to be getting Jace. Yeah, you're paying three, though. Oh, that's Thassa's right. Only... But still, like, what are, you, what are you doing with her ability? You're never devoting, really. You're only devoting if you have Jace, Thassa, Vendillion, Clique. And if you've got Jace, Thassa, Vendillion, Clique, you're already winning anyway. You're not playing man lands to abuse the unblockable clause. So what are you doing? You're just scrying every turn for three? Uh, like, I don't know, run more Sensei's Dividing Tops. Run eight Sensei's Dividing Tops, I'm sure. No. Run, probably run the Ponders or something. Yeah, I agree. Um, There's not really anything else on here. It's alright, we're at about, about an hour, which is about where we want to be. Wee! It'll probably be a shorter cast, but whatever. That's fine. Excellent. Okay. And uh, now the outro. 
So Sam, do you want to? Uh, you got it, man. I'm I'm like still tired out of my mind. <laughs> okay. So thanks for listening to the cast. If you have any uh, suggestions or tips, feel free to email or tweet to us or whatever you kids do nowadays. Uh, I'm Matt Pavlik. I'm Sam Craven. I'm Bob Huang. And thanks for listening. See you next time. Yay! All right. Yay. So uh, now let's. We... I'm, I'm a little bummed we don't get to hear that uh, catchy music. Where did you find that, by the way? I really like it. It's uh, that that is film by Aphex Twin. <laughs>